0: You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a changing our world podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. I am so excited about today's guest. He is a veteran entrepreneur, author, banker, teacher pastor, and my uncle, David Friend, and we're going to talk about his journey through his career and in ministry. But first, it was just Father's Day, and I want to offer a very special shout out to my dad for being a terrific dad and a wonderful role model for me. Happy Father's Day, Dad. I also want to wish my father-in-law, our grandfathers, our family members, both living and deceased, and all the dads out there a wonderful and blessed Father's Day. I hope you had a day that was filled with love. As we think of our fathers, we of course remember our spiritual father, St. Joseph, who protected and guided Jesus and played a significant and yet largely unsung role in history. And yet, we know that Joseph protected his family and provided for them and allowed God to use him in ways that even he may not have fully understood at the time. So often as fathers, we don't always understand the influence we have on our children, or what will stay with them, like their faith, until they're much older. And so, to all the unsung fatherly heroes out there who made a difference in a young person's life, happy Father's Day, and may God bless you. Now, let's get to work. As I said at the top of the show, I am so pleased today to welcome my Uncle David. Let me tell you a little bit about him. David Friend began his education at Phoenix College, but was interrupted by serving in the military in Vietnam. Upon completing his service and returning to the United States, he graduated from Phoenix College. He studied finance and lending at Western Bancor. He later worked as a part-time instructor in banking at seven community colleges in Arizona. While working at First National Bank and First Interstate Bank from 1969 to 1984, he served as operations officer and branch manager, commercial lender, vice president, and regional manager, and state retail sales manager. David was vice president and in partnership with a real estate development company for three years, he then owned and operated his first development firm, David Friend Homes from 1987 to 1997. In 1997, he went into full-time ministry at Phoenix First Assembly. He was ordained in 1998 and started a new church called North Scottsdale Christian. During David's time as senior pastor, the Lord blessed the church with over a thousand In 2015, North Scottsdale Christian merged with Phoenix First Assembly to create Dream City Church. Currently, David serves as a board member with Dream City Church. He is mentoring businessmen and speaks on finance and prayer. He resides in Scottsdale, Arizona with his wife, my aunt Sharon, and together they have two married children and six grandchildren. And so, without further ado, here's our conversation. Well, Uncle Dave, welcome to Advancing Our Church. I'm so glad to have you on our podcast today. Thank you much. Appreciate the opportunity to share how the Lord wants to bless the church. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, You have so many uh, things that we can talk about today and could easily be, I think we could do a series on David Friend because <laughs> you've accomplished so much and I've uh, I've always so much ad- admired and respected you not only as for who you are, but uh, what you've accomplished, but certainly as as my uncle. Uh, for those uh, who are tuning in, uh, this is my Uncle Dave, and uh, you, you're out in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, I think most of your life, right? You've lived out in the area. Yes, the majority of my life.
1: That's right. Yeah. From Ohio, though. From, I'm actually from Akron,
0: Ohio. That's right. <laughs> yep. You, you and Dad are from Akron, Ohio. And Uncle Dave is a, a veteran, an entrepreneur, an author former banker, a teacher, and a pastor, and and has authored, and I didn't even know this, I didn't realize how many books that you have, you've authored. Uh, four or five, five books, right? Total of five. Yeah, there's currently five
1: on Amazon, but I've done actually seven. So, uh, seven. so yeah, <laughs> some old ones, you know,
0: 10, 12 years ago that I needed new material. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> and you have a new podcast out. So, Yes, um, Uncle Dave. Why don't we start with um, maybe just kind of let folks get to know you a little bit, a little bit about your background and your history. You you wrote a couple of books about Vietnam, and I read the first one. I haven't read the second one yet, but boy, they sure they tell a, an interesting story about your early beginnings. I'm I'm curious, how did your experience in Vietnam as a young married man shape your early decisions about your career and your and your family?
1: Well, you know, Vietnam in my life had an amazing impact, as it did with the lives of all those that went over there and uh, i was in, in college a sophomore uh, planning to uh, uh, get married and uh, told my got married told my wife uh, let's uh, let's just move forward with life and uh, got a letter that says you're no longer just deferred and you're no longer going <laughs> to be in college you're going yeah. to be in the army now so sure. so we uh, my wife and i got married we ran off and got married decided let's get going with this thing and I said we'll have a good assignment somewhere. And next thing I knew, I got my orders to go to Vietnam. So uh, Vietnam was a was a horrible, terrible place. And that book that you referred to is really a, a story of what it was like before Vietnam, during Vietnam, and after Vietnam. Because as you know, the Vietnam soldier was pretty much abused when they even got back to the United States. So I would say my my most difficult challenge was when I came back, even, even less than when I was there, even though when I was there, I was nearly killed a few times and the Lord saved my life. When I got back in, I was just, I tried to distract myself from non, distract from the negative comments and focus on a career in my wife and my family. I was not a Christian at the time, so my goals in life were purely financial success, financial success. It wasn't until five years later that I gave my life to Christ and became a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's when things really focused, And I knew exactly what God wanted me to do. Mainly, I just wanted to Ignore Vietnam. For 40 years, I didn't write about it. My wife and I didn't talk about it. And she's the one that encouraged me that I should share my experiences. So we, we, we give it away to veterans groups and whatever just to bless them and help them see that that, uh, that veterans need to be loved. And By the way, if any of you know a Vietnam veteran, the best thing you can tell them is welcome home. That's about even thank you for your service is okay. But welcome home is the issue that we need to hear because we were not welcomed home. 50 years ago. So it's uh, it got me started. It made me realize that there's more to life than just making money <laughs> and uh, realized that I could make a difference maybe in somebody else's life. And that kind of patterned my life for the last, really, quite frankly, almost 50 years.
0: Uh, there's nothing that can change or even begin to undo some of the damage that was done to our, to our vets when they came home from Vietnam. I mean, the, the damage that had already been done to them, both uh, emotional and physical. And then to come home to such anger and hatred and, and rejection had to be really challenging. How did you manage through that? Did you have support? I'm sure you had Aunt Sharon as your support but, and your family, but how did you manage through all that? That would well, be very challenging.
1: Yeah. My wife and I agreed not to talk about it and I just kind of hid it and suppressed it. and And that was okay. I had PTSD for about the first three or four years. Yeah. I just could not sleep nights, you know, night sweats. My wife said I'd wake up angry and yelling and things. I don't remember any of that. Yeah. And she would get out of bed just so I did wouldn't take a swing at her, you know, because I was just completely out of control. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I buried it. Then years later, I realized that there's a lot of men there. Not very many women served there because in those days, women didn't serve in combat. They were predominantly nurses who were over there. And so it's important that we understand that and realize that a lot of adjustments had to be made in families. So block that out. It was five years after I came back that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. When I did that, I received something the Bible talks about, the peace of God that passes all understanding to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. That's where I sunk myself into and decided that I had to have peace in my life and uh, I would just move forward. And so, quite frankly, it was the Lord that helped me adjust And uh, But, you know, it's funny, 40 years later, when I started writing these books, some of that PTSD came back. The memories came back. I even saw myself going back to Vietnam as a 70-year-old man around a bunch of 19-year-old kids. And it was the weirdest dreams I had for months. But thank the Lord, it's a tool to help people. And I know that the Lord is the one that can set us free and carry us above anything in life.
0: Of course, of course. Well, tell me a little bit about how did you come to Christ? How did that happen? You said after five years, you gave your life to Christ. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience and how it well, came Well, I about?
1: became a banker. I came back from Vietnam. My wife said, I think you'd be a good banker. She actually got me an interview, and okay. I wanted up working for a bank. And, and it was a very successful career. I was very blessed. It's, I, I think I fit into that well. But after about five years of that, uh, one morning, my wife and I woke up. We were going to the Lutheran church at the time, and I said, why are we going? What is there? you know, what there is in the church for us, it just seems to be the routine. And we sit there and talked about it and didn't go to church that morning and realize that there would seem to be, there should be more of a relationship, a personal relationship with Christ or something more than just simply checking in, say, I was here, you know, don't go home, uh, put $10 in the offering plate and, and leave. You know, that that was my routine. Well, I went to a Billy Graham crusade and because I always thought he was a cool guy, I liked him on TV and he called people forward, and I, Arizona State University, 50,000 people on the stadium, but we were hungry for more out of life. We really want to have a, a more substance out of life than just trying to get more successful and have a nicer house, a nicer car, and all that stuff, and I realized that I needed more, so therefore, we both surrendered our life about the same time. She gave her life to Christ, life to Christ about six months or so before me, and then I kind of made fun of her and said things you're not going to be that way you're not going to be one of these crazy church people are you and i I really kind of gave her a rough time in a pleasant way but nonetheless but then all of a sudden i realized i loved what she had matter of fact it made the person that she is and i was drawn to what had happened to her life because of her relationship and that really drew me to christ
0: oh that's beautiful and after that, I mean, things continued to just to take off for you. You were a bank, a very successful banker for a number of years, and then you made the shift into being an entrepreneur. What was what was that like? Was that a big shift for you?
1: Well, you know, I was a banker, and I I thought I'd do it for life. I was there for 15 years, and I very blessed. I started as a drive-in teller, and in the 14th year, I was the state director of retail banking over 163 branches, and I just it was it was the career that I probably should have been in at the time. But during that time, I was watching businesses to see, that's an interesting business. I wonder if i like to do that, or that's an interesting business. So I would encourage any young people wondering what you want to do with your career, go work for a bank for a couple of years and and look at all the businesses you're exposed to. And I fell in love with the idea of being a home builder. And I I I went out and recruited home builders for my customers. and I financed their loans and brought them in, became friends with them. And I was basically preparing myself to step away from banking. I was offered to be president of the bank just as I was getting ready to resign, which was really crazy. But just before they offered me the president of this new bank in Arizona, I was offered a job to work in a real estate development company. And I really liked the sound of that. Predominantly, I wanted to go into residential. I thought that would be better. So I did some commercial residential. So I accepted the development real estate business offer. Then I had to go back to the bank and tell them, well, thanks for the offer, but no thanks. It's time to change. I really felt it was time change. And I also knew, my wife always knew that I wanted to have my own business. I kind of wondered what it would be like to be an entrepreneur and, and do our own business. And the business that I thought would be attractive was to build homes. And so it led me into that. We prayed about it. I made sure we were safe and comfortable. I made sure our savings were good. That before we made the transition, I had at least two years of my annual income in the bank saved that I wouldn't have to touch. So my family would not be negatively impact, impacted by it. And I was very careful to protect our marriage in the transition. Uh, so we made the transition. And within a, within probably two years after I went into it, we started a company called Bay Friend Homes and built custom homes all over uh, Scottsdale and Phoenix and Paradise Valley places in Arizona. So it was a wonderful transition. The Lord was in it. So that was my second major job. First, you know, I was a banker. Then I went, which is very conservative, by the way, to steady paycheck, knew everything was going to be there to that, one of the most risky businesses you can get into, which was real estate development and spec housing, you know, houses built on speculation, build it and sit back and wait for someone to buy it. So wow. it took a lot of trust in the Lord to do that. No, no paycheck. And many times no paycheck for six or eight or 10 months. And then a lot of money would come in in a period of two or three months.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm sure that, that that business has changed a lot since you started it. What, what advice would you have to somebody who is considering being an entrepreneur today?
1: Well, you do your homework, you know, do your due diligence, understand what it is. Get around people who are in the business that you think is interesting, something that you really like. If you want to get the shoe business, then you go talk to people who own stores or manage stores. Understand the business first and then look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, find out exactly what's good for it. Get yourself prepared financially so that when you make the change, you know, people say you should have at least six months of savings, you know, back that we should always do that. I've never believed that one. I've always wanted to have at least two years or more. And in a big transition like that, I had to make sure that we would be comfortable and safe because I could always go back into banking, you know, once I made the change. but And you can always go back into what you're doing now. I guess that's your safety, but... Pray about it. Ask the Lord's direction and help. Seek some good counsel and really do your due diligence. Just don't on a whim say, I think I want to do that. Quit your job and go do something else. No, I would keep doing your day job and then kind of put your foot in the water a little bit and see what's happening on what you're thinking of doing. But it takes some time. Don't jump into something like that. And I, I spent probably six or eight years dreaming about my own business while I was working at the bank and looking for ways to make the transition. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my thoughts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Go into it with your eyes open and after a lot of research and prayer, for sure. Yes, yes. So after being a successful banker and a successful entrepreneur, then you were called into full-time ministry. How did (laughs) how did that come about? Because that's a that's another big career change.
1: Yeah, yeah. From remember (laughs) banking, very safe and secure, real estate development, extremely high risk, and then pastoring. And I don't know where you classify that because it's, (laughs) you know, I wasn't offered a big job at a big church, you know, with a lot of with a nice salary and all that. We literally went into ministry. I volunteered at the church I was at to work as a pastor for free. I uh, told the pastor there, if you'd like, I'll come here for free. And he says, I, I, I've always known, Pastor Barnett told me, he says, I'd always known you were going to go into ministry someday. I said, you did? Why didn't you tell me? You know, <laughs> and because we were teaching a Sunday school class and God blessed it, we were running like 600 people on Sunday in a Sunday school class. Wow. It was crazy, you know, and it was became our life. We loved it. My wife and I were into it really heavy and our kids were involved and really, pretty exciting to say the least. And God blessed it. All of a sudden, you know, went into the idea of making that change. I was inspired by a book that I read. It was a book on faith by an evangelist named Smith Wigglesworth. Mm -hmm. He goes back a few years, but he was an amazing guy. And he traveled all over the world, but he was a plumber and he was 48 years old. At the time I was a home builder and I was 48 years old. And I read his book, a little biography of him and his faith in God, is trust in God, and that God promised him 40 more years of life if he went into ministry. But so I said, Lord, I just think maybe I should go into full time. That night for dinner, after I read that little book, my wife and I having dinner, sitting on the beach in California, enjoying life, we were blessed to get to travel around the world. We've been, we've been all over the place and did a lot. Once our kids were raised, we started traveling. And I'm glad that we did. So we were blessed. I had a great life. Business was successful. Things were really great. But still, I thought there's still something else God wants me to do. So I told her that night, I feel like the Lord has called me into full time ministry. And she started to cry. And I said, well, it's OK. I'm going to do it now. I mean, you know, we won't, we won't lose the house and the car and everything, but, but you know, it's, it's OK. She said, no, no, no. The reason that I have tears, she said, is because when I was a little girl, uh, young girl, seven, eight years old in church. I saw a man preaching and I said, Lord, someday I'd like to be married to a pastor. Wow. Yeah. And we'd been married 20 years at that time. And she did not, never did say, why are you building homes? Why are you a banker? You're supposed to be a pastor. She didn't throw that in my face ever until I told her and said, I think God's called us to go into ministry and it'll be us going into ministry. I had to go back to school. I'd had to become ordained. And I was 48 years old. You know, and so it was a wonderful transition, probably the best decision other than other than the decision to accept Christ. It's probably the second most important decision I've ever made in my life was to go into full time ministry and make that commitment. So we did. We started a church and God blessed it. And then we we actually worked for another church. Then we were called ministry to go to Scottsdale, Arizona, which is just east of of Phoenix, and start from scratch with nobody, no members, no money, just go. We rented motel rooms, little little hundred square foot, two hundred square foot conference rooms, oh. and would invite people to come and you know pay a hundred dollars a week to use that room, and God blessed it. And within a matter of uh, three or four years, we were running four to five hundred, and eventually the church, at its peak, hit about two thousand members wow. in the church. Yeah, and it was just a blessing. Today, it's a beautiful big church. It's a we, we, we built it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I do prepare us in what we are today for something that he wants us to do maybe later in life. Right. For example, I was a banker. Remember? Conservative. A real estate developer. High risk, but understood developing. Mm-hmm. As a pastor, my banking and my real estate development and tools to moved forward. So I was for the church, not making any money on my own, just simply for the church, buying land. And then selling land and making money all for the church, 100% to the church, made enough money that we could buy a bigger piece of land, wound up in the year, wound up with a big piece of land, 30 acres in North Scottsdale. God blessed it, paid for, totally paid for. It. And that was through three land exchanges that we did because of the experience that I had. God blessed it and never put the church in trouble and not high risky stuff, just just doing it. He knew that God was behind it. I remember signing a lease to start our church. I remember we only had about maybe 50 people going to church or so. We went out to Scottsdale. I rented a big warehouse building. And I signed a lease for five years for $20,000 a month with very little congregation and maybe $2,000 a week in income coming in to the whole church. And that's just simply a step of faith. And I kind of thought, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? I could always go back to building houses or I could go back to being a banker, you know. <laughs> and so I I didn't want to forget my early days, but God blessed all that. And he was so faithful in it. And the church just grew and grew. And I remember being able to lead the, the owner of that building to the Lord and prayed with him to give his life to Christ. And, and he'd get him and his wife both. And God blessed it. And then we did that for an, almost 20 years that we were in the full-time pastoral ministry.
0: Wow. That's tremendous. tremendous. <laughs> <Sadding> <laughs> life. <laughs> it's amazing how God does, you know, lead us through each part. I mean, I've seen that in my own life and the things that I did, I, uh, in, when I was in college, I, I thought I was going to be a radio TV guy. And okay. uh, and so I enjoy camera work and I enjoyed, I actually did a little bit of college radio and DJing. Yeah. And then 30 years later, he, plants in my head you know what you should try a podcast and I get involved yeah. in podcasting so I kind of naturally gravitated towards all this stuff and and put it all together so I I, I I mean mine is on a much smaller scale than what you've described for your own life but for me uh you know it's kind of funny how sometimes things come full circle you know <laughs> it, it does and yeah. and
1: you the fact that you got into podcast inspired me to think about doing podcasts. My, well, friend, my brother, you. Jim, your dad said, you know, he's going to be doing podcasts. I said, you know, I've heard about those. And I, I think maybe the tool was when I retired from the church and stepped mm-hmm. down, I knew I was trying was to make the transition. Uh, we needed a younger pastor because the church was just getting older, just like me. Mm-hmm. And so at, at 69 years of age, I thought, okay, I'm going to step down now from the church and we got a younger man, by the way, that younger man we knew when he was a 10 year old kid and I had known him for 40 years before he became the pastor of the church that I stepped down from. So uh, God don't burn your old relationships because (laughs) they can come back to be very, very helpful. And so, yeah, so you were an inspiration quite frankly to me to actually get into doing podcasts.
0: Oh, thanks uncle Dave. I really appreciate you saying that. That Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about one of our mutual favorite subjects, which is stewardship. Yes. I know you're, you're doing a lot of great topics on stewardship on your new podcast. And you also wrote a book about, which I love the title, Generosity, What's in It for Me? I, I think that's a great, great, uh, <laughs> it's a great topic and a, and a great title. I, 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 I've i read through it and I, I was one, in, in chapter one, you start talking about the attitude of what's in it for me. So tell, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, you know, I think I'm going to
0: write a book here
1: in the next couple of years entitled What's In It For Me, you know, <laughs> life, you know, entitled Life, What's In It For Me. Yeah. Because in reality, there's very few things that we do that we don't think about what's in it for us. Right. Now, I know the person will say, well, no, no, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not greedy. I'm not selfish. I'm not self-centered. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't You know, think that way. But in reality, don't you go buy a pair of shoes and try them on and you want to know what's in it for you? Do they feel good? Under the right price, you know, and and people think that they're kind of up to date, or they think, "Why did you buy a fifty old fifty year old pair of shoes?" I think so. I think every decision that we make, we think about. People go from church to church looking for what, what's in it for me. Now, a lot of people say, "No, no, no, I don't." I think they disagree with you because
0: I think you're right. Because
1: people will leave a church. Remember, I pastored for twenty years. I saw a lot of people come, and I saw people go. I mean, any pastor is going to experience that. Mm-hmm. But they would come in and they say, well, we're just not going to be here anymore because we're just not being taught. We're not learning. And I would tell them, so your concern is what's in it for you? And they'd say, oh, no, 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 I don't feel that way. I said, yeah, yeah you do. And, and that's OK. It's It's OK to go to a church and what's in it for you? Do they preach the doctrine that I believe? Would they be teaching my children? Will this be a good, safe environment? Do they do they use the word of God to preach rather than just some book that some guy wrote? Right. Uh, the bottom line is, what's in it for me carries us through our entire life. And, and I believe that that it's okay. Most of the time, it's okay to think about what's in it for me. Now, I don't believe that you give $100 to the church and say, what's in it for me? You give $100 to the church or $1,000 or $10,000 to the church because you want to bless the church. And you feel mm-hmm. the Lord has given us finances to be a blessing. So, you know, when we make money, I believe the goal of money, is we're like a giant conduit, great big piece of PVC pipe. And we put our arms out and the blessing comes in this end of the pipe, right? It comes through there and what does it do? It blesses us. Mm -hmm. And we're being blessed as we make money. We're so thankful for that. And we're supposed to leave the other end open so that it flows through us and it becomes a blessing to someone else. That's why I'm a big believer in giving to the church. I'm a believer in stewardship. I'm a believer that if you let God manage your money, he'll do a better job of it. And I believe in giving to the church. I'm a person that believes in tithing. I know not everybody thinks that's in anymore. That's where you give 10% of your income to the church every year. I believe that because I believe there's a lot of benefits in that. When I tithe, I'm trusting God to help me. When I give any money to the church, I'm trusting God. It takes faith to trust God as you release what you've received. Secondly, you realize that God is your source. So if he's your source, I don't want to cut off my source. I want that pipe to be filled. And then I want to give from that so I don't cut my source off. So Bible says that if you give to God, he'll get back pressed down, shaken together and running over. I know it's Old Testament, Malachi. But in reality, that applies to life. I also found that that when I tithe, I became a better steward of what I had. You know, I mean, it made me be a better, I could budget better. I knew. So so what I decided was, Lord, why don't I give 10% to the church and I'll give 10% to me for everything that I make. And I'll take the other 80% and I'll live on that. When I did that, Lord just took a hold of that and blessed it. Next thing I know, I was given 20% of what I made to the church. And I was given 20% to me and I was living on 60% of what I was making. Now, today I'm... I'm not a wealthy man, but I certainly don't need to work. I mean, i you know, we're, we're, we're comfortable. We're very comfortable. God's blessed us. And then in the meantime, we're still able to continue to bless the Lord and things like God is always wants to fill that pipe. That's me. He wants to fill me because he can trust me. You know, Jimmy, one of the things that people, that people do is they say, God, I trust you. And that's wonderful. And that's great. But I think there's another side to that. Does God trust us? Sometimes I'm not so sure. That we get the blessings that we'd like to have because God's sitting back going, hmm, if I give him too much of a blessing or her too much of a blessing, I don't think they're prepared spiritually to handle that blessing. I believe sometimes the Lord's blessing financially will be held back until he can trust us to do what we should do with it. So I'm a big believer that we should have spiritual prosperity preparing us for financial prosperity. And they go together. And when it comes to generations, this book on generations, I I really believe that the reason I wrote that is that I wanted young people to see the generation, the the generosity of their family, not just money, but in their time and helping other people and going to a good church, volunteering, serving in the church, that, that that generational thing that we have of being generous of our time and our finances can be passed on from generation to generation to generation. And I'm a believer in that. I believe that God has a blessing for us. He wants to bless us, but he wants to be sure that we're trustworthy to receive that blessing. I mean, my. Sorry experience. for preaching.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> You're doing great. And I've, I've also found that God will never be outdone in his generosity, too. No. And if, as, as a Catholic, many Catholics in an older generation were raised with the pray, pay, and obey. That, that just doesn't work. You know, we, no. <laughs> we give to God out of gratitude because we come into this world with nothing and everything that we have, everything we have is a gift from God. And I think not recognizing that might be the first fallacy for us and thinking that I, I got all this because of my talents and my yes. gifts and my, you know, it's very me centered, but to recognize that he is the giver of all gifts and to be grateful yeah. for those gifts. And then he'll, you know, he will bless us with more. And as you say, take care of those gifts and be a good steward of them. Yes, that's right. Without a doubt. One so, in the chapter three of your, of your, of your same book, you talk about being a generous marriage and generosity and some ways that we can be generous as a spouse and the best way to allow that to happen. What's the best way to allow that to happen with our marriage Is to, to be generous well, with our spouse. Well, I think it's two or three parts of that. I'll make it
1: real quick. The first thing is, have a good marriage. We must have a good relationship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in that. I believe that my relationship is right with God. Okay, that's my vertical relationship with him. And my wife's relationship with the Lord is good. So both of us have these vertical, good relationship with God. My horizontal relationship here on earth, my wife can't help but to be blessed. So I believe that in marriage, make sure spiritually you you're tied in. You really understand what God wants in a marriage. When Paul talked about it in the book of Ephesians, where he talked about you know men should love their wives like Christ loved the church, and 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 the one controversial statement that was made where he says that that the women should submit to their husbands. Well, that's so messed up the way it's preached. The way it's preached sometimes it really is not what we think it is today. It's that we we put the wife as being more important than we are. Matter of fact, I used to stand before my congregation. um, I'm going to challenge all the men out there. Now, Now, this could be tough on me. I may get beat up in the parking lot, but I'm going to at least challenge some of you guys and say, I have a goal to serve my wife greater than she could ever serve me. I want you to watch me. I want you to watch what I do. I want you to watch. Not that I have all the answers, but you check me out and see how I treat her. Because how I treat her in public is the way I need to be treating her at home. And I always felt that serving her, for example, we've been married 54 years now. God bless you. And, That's yeah, and yet we eloped, we eloped to Las Vegas <laughs> because I was going to be, I was going to go in the military and we need yeah. to make things happen quick, quick. And next thing I know, I was going to Vietnam. And next no thing I know, I was right. in no. Anyways, no, right. and so so 54 years later, and when I was dating her, I made her a promise that I want to treat you the same for the rest of your life. I wasn't even a Christian at the time. But to this day, I still make sure that when we go out to the car. I open her door for her, and get her in the even in the garage. And everywhere we go, as I wait and I get out of the car and walk around and I open her door for her. Now, that may not seem like much. When we go to a restaurant, I always pull her chair back to make sure she sits. But it's it's a witness, not, not that I'm trying to be boastful, but it's a witness that the young girls in the restaurant will see me pull my wife's chair back. And they'll say, oh, that's so sweet. You know, and I'm, I am i don't do it because I want to be watched. It's just our life. And, and when we get home, I tell my wife, we drive into the car, <laughs> into the garage. And, and she would try to get out of her car. And I'd say, look, wait a minute. What, what are you doing? You're going to rob me of my blessing. She's going, oh, okay. And to this day, I run around, open up her door for her. Because wow. I'm supposed to care for her. I'm supposed to. Love. If Jesus was riding with you, wouldn't you open his door for him? Think right. run? Oh, yeah. So aren't we supposed to be like Christ in that relationship? Love no. your wife as Christ loved the church that you would give your life for. It. And I think most men would fight to the death to protect their wife. I believe that with all my heart. Sure. Defender, defender and protector. But, but on the other hand, when it comes to showing that that love out of just caring in an outward way it's something that this this book on marriage and on this book on generosity dealing with a chapter on marriage the sad part I found out in the last few years women are more likely to forgive their husband from adultery than they are from money failure wow that statistically will prove that out matter of fact I believe for many years uh, it was adultery was number one reason for divorce that's now down to about number six or number seven Just go check it out yourself and you'll find that. However, financial failure has been as high as number one. And it's always in the top two or three. A woman feels like she's been betrayed if she's not being cared for, if Mm -hmm. if she's husband is not handling finances right, or if the two of them are not handling finances right. They don't have a plan. They don't have a purpose. They don't have a goal. They don't put God first in their finances. Everything we've given to the Lord financially, my wife has been 100% in support. And we pray about it. When we went to the church and we prayed, uh, how much should we give to the building program? Here's what I did. I said, here's what we should do. I think married couples need to pray about it. But what I said is take this card and write how much you want to give to the church. Put it down and I'll do mine. I don't want to see yours. I don't want you to see my card. And so we prayed. And we said, Lord, what would you have us to do? And I had, I had a pretty big number on there. I mean, I thought it was pretty big. It was, well, I'll just throw out a $100,000. I want to make $100,000 commitment to my church, right? And I was thinking, I wonder what she'll put on. And she turned her card over. It was the exact same number. Wow. And I mean, I found that to be so rewarding that the two of us were on the same page financially. Oh, definitely. When I when I left the banking business to go into real estate development, 100% commitment from her. Totally be supportive behind mm-hmm. me. Uh, but I made sure that her house was safe. I provided for her security in the home, made sure there was income in the bank and told her I had a backup plan for working in the event that this thing didn't work out. So didn't just run out, you know, flippantly, you know, go yeah. do something and then and then put the house up for mortgage. Another thing is be careful what you do with the house. I don't believe that a business, you should ever pledge your house as collateral for a business loan because that's your wife's security. That's one of her security points is the home that, that you're providing for her. And I never will and never did uh, pledge our home for that because I always felt like, everything else fails, I'm going to provide her a safe place. And because that's what God wants to do. And I believe generosity between each other, if we're generous with each other in our time, our love, our serving of each other, we'll be blessed because God loves a marriage that operates with generosity.
0: Absolutely. And you know what I've also found, Uncle Dave, is your kids watch you so carefully and and they pick up, (laughs) they, they pick up on everything that you do, and and I know that Eddie and Tricia saw you treating you know, Aunt Sharon in that way, and consequently they have wonderful relationships I, that i've seen with their spouses and, they do. and wonderful yeah. families you know one of the things that i've always been really committed to is making sure we celebrate my wife on mother's day and, and not every husband feels that way so well she's not mm-hmm. my mother well but she's the mother of your children i mean it doesn't get any more personal <laughs> than that and so we've always kind of facilitated that and make you know make sure that you know cuz i think the kids watch you so carefully we make a big deal of it but they do. but really even throughout the year one of the one of the little signs to me was that we were doing something or that I might've been doing something right is that my wife has had knee problems for most of her adult life. So she walks with a cane. Yeah. And when my son was young, he was, uh, I, he was three, four or five years old. He would hold her hand in the parking lot and escort her to the car or take her to a building or whatever. He would, he took care of his mom. I mean, he was yeah. right there by her side. And I, and I have to believe that he did that because he saw in us, you know, that caring and loving relationship. So yes, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, I that's, think that's, that's awesome. I think that's always a little test to know that you're on the right path. When there you what, go, the, the kids go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean. Well, ours are all getting married off now
1: because uh, our yeah. kids, you know, your your kids are going into college, and ours yeah. have already graduated from college, and and now they're getting married. They're all married, and they've got their kids have already gone through college, mm-hmm. and. And now, and now we're going through our grandchildren getting married, which really makes me feel old, you know, so <laughs> wow. which is a blessing. That's a generational blessing of generosity from God.
0: Yep. It Absolutely. is. It yeah. is. Yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. As a former pastor, I know that you probably had to talk about money quite a bit or once in a while anyway from the pulpit and remind your, your church members to contribute to tithe. And I'm sure you talked about that. How was that for you asking others to make a gift to your church? because a lot of times pastors struggle with that. I know a lot of the priests yeah. that I work with struggle with asking for money and, and and I'm sure that that pastors do as well. How did you go about that? What were your thoughts?
1: Well, I like to talk about um, I like to talk about stories like where what Paul was being blessed, you know, when he was out and and he would ask for help and the, the cities and the communities he was in. They they would give him a blessing, the more than he could even handle. And 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 I look at the stories where where Jesus you know would basically he was a giver. He pretty much he pretty much gave everywhere that he went constantly. And and I I just I look at that and I think I'm robbing people of a blessing if I don't give them the opportunity to give. And I believe that. And it wasn't for me. I was told in the congregation, now, now you don't when you give money to the church, don't think that you're patting my pocket. I'm not going to be driving a bigger car or a fancier house or going more vacations. I mean, I'm taking care of my finances. Unfortunately I had a successful business and we didn't have to have as much from the church as maybe I would have had, maybe had not done that before that. But it also led me to understand that, that God was the source of my business being blessed and God will be the source of blessing those. And, 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 and the Bible tells us, give and it shall be given unto you. And I would tell my congregation, um, and I, every week I have like a little, little, mini little sermonette, if you'd call it that, maybe a two minute, one and a half, two minute thing, a teaching in the Bible to talk about giving. And, and we were, we were blessed financially. Our, our church raised, I mean, quite frankly, millions and millions of dollars in the very early years of its, of its existence because we found that we were attracting people, with the same mindset that we had that we cannot give God never outgive God because no matter what you give to him he's going to give it back to you Pressed down shaking together and running over and then God loves a cheerful giver and I tell the people look if you come here and you're upset about the offering and don't even give today because God prefers a cheerful builder, a giver you know I mean I would hit around by that I'd say you know, I would tell the church that you know it's so crucial that we give it's so important that we understand that God wants to bless us and if we are holding back from him then then he'll probably not Is generous with us when it comes to our finances. And the people would catch that. But you know, because of my background was a banker and I was a real estate developer, I was never ashamed to sit down with someone who was wealthy and just say, we need money. We're going to build this building. We're going to need to raise $5 million. And I don't know what you're planning to give, but I really know that God's blessed you. And I really believe you should be one of our substantial givers. I even took it a little farther at times. I had one guy one time give me a, said, I'm going to I'm going to contribute 500000 to the church. Well, that's a huge amount of money. And I looked at him and I said, um, that's wonderful. But I really believe you're supposed to give twice that. And <laughs> I love it. I'm even when I said it, I thought, well, I may never see him again. But you know what he told me? You know what he told me? He says, you know, I told my wife that we should give a million dollars, not a half a million. And he says, and I agree with you. Give me that check back. And he, he rewrote another check for a million dollars. And wow. said, "He said, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. And so, and I think because because of the fact that I was a businessman, I wasn't bothered about asking. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew because it wasn't for me. It was the blessed church. And if they wanted a, the the church to to go on and prosper, and I would also tell them, you know, how many people like the air conditioning? And they'd say, <laughs> you know, they, they'll raise their hands. And I said, well, then we're going to take up an offering so that we can pay the air conditioning bill this month." And in Arizona, where it's going to be 115 degrees today. Yes. 115. Uh, you know, I'd say we want to keep the air on and make light of it. But it worked. And we were blessed that we never lacked for finances. Our mm-hmm. church always had excessive finances. Matter of fact, I would talk to some of the Catholic churches around and we would have coffee and we'd visit. And they'd, they'd say, how big is your congregation? I'd say, well, we're running about $2,000. they would say, well, what's your income? I would tell them that, you know, we were we were running about and a half million dollars a year. And he'd say, Oh my goodness. He says, My congregation's much bigger than yours. He said, We're not running 25% income that wow. you are. He's and he says, I'm always nervous about asking. Well, the Bible wow. says you have not because you ask not. And simple to the point. But you know, I believe that it helped him and he and realized there's really nothing wrong with asking. And you know his people didn't get upset. He didn't, he didn't lose people. He didn't. He didn't lose people. He just simply was blessed, and he developed confidence in the Lord. That's an okay thing to do. I know I'm probably a little liberal in that area. That I'm very aggressive when it comes to asking for money, but it's not for me. Now, as made people understand that, right? Not for me, and I won't take any excess funds from for my own personal use, anyways.
0: Exactly. And, and that's how I've always reconciled it in my mind. I'm asking for the mission or for the people yes. that uh, that God is meant to bless with this money. Not. Yes. This is, nothing's going into my my wallet. Exactly. yeah.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah,
0: You know, I, yeah. I had a, I, I love what you said because it really echoed something that um, uh, my former uh, my, one of my former mentors said, you know, uh, it was always that God. Will never be outdone in his generosity, but also that, as you said, he loves a cheerful giver, you know, and, and that uh, we, we're supposed to do it out of gratitude, not out of guilt or yes. obligation. We should do these things with joy. And, yes, uh, that's right. and when we do that, I think we're blessed twice as much. But I, I, I love how you challenged the guy and got the du- double <laughs> a gift. That's awesome. Well, <laughs> He's he's not the only one I did that to. So uh, <laughs> you know, matter of fact, it was in a
1: fundraising program at my prior church, and our goal was to raise $15 million for a big building program. Yeah. And I talked to several people like that. We we raised just under $16 million, you mm-hmm. know, for that church. And I believe it was because I wasn't ashamed to ask for the gospel, ask for what it would do for the church and how that church would bless other people. Even down the street, there's a Catholic church from us, not too far, and they needed to build a gymnasium. Mm-hmm. And the, the the priest went to individuals and said, "You know, we, we are going to need some very substantial donations in order to do this." And it was like a five million dollar project. They raised it like like that, just because the people saw what was there, they wanted to be a part of it.
0: And the other part of what you said is so true. And, you know, you are you are doing them a favor. I mean, that is yes. how we get into heaven. Faith without works is dead. I mean, the Bible says that, you know, we are called to do good works as well as have faith in God. And so this is part of that. This is part of it. So, yeah, I agree. It's, it's a blessing.
1: No question about it. That's, that's the goal of generosity.
0: Yeah. So now you have your podcast, uh, Quality yeah. Christian Living, which is available on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and, and all over the place. And yes, and and you told me uh, the other day that you're uh, you're doing two three episodes a week right now. That's incredible. And, yes, and we you're are having fun with it.
1: Yeah, it is fun. Well, I started off speaking on finances, and yep. that's the easiest thing for me to talk about. Sure. And I wanted to connect with people, so I knew that if they didn't know me. But they, they're Christians that because it's through a Christian magazine that I'm part of their podcast system. And I knew that they would be curious about finances. I started off the first series on experience the joy of debt-free living, which is yeah. also another book that I wrote, which is how to live debt-free mm-hmm. and giving is a part of yeah. becoming debt-free. And so it's incredible to think that, that you know, we have been blessed and we're, we're drawn into an opportunity now where I'm not preaching for the pulpit. But I'm reaching and reaching out and contacting far more people today than I was when I was fasting at our church, you know, Great. you know, to think of that, that's just God's plan. I don't know how many people, you know, with the books and the podcasts, I never dreamed that was in my future. I had never thought about it. Not like you. I wasn't in college to go into, you know, you know, a public, you know in, I guess the media and that type of thing. I wanted to be a high school history teacher. And really? so God's got a sense of humor. So I didn't become a high school history teacher. I would become a Bible teacher history. <laughs> so, so God does have a sense of humor, you know. Oh, I Anyways. love
0: it. How did you get into that? I, I know that you counseled many couples as a pastor Uh, on their on on many challenges and issues that I'm sure that they brought to you certainly finance being one that's so close to near and dear to your heart and and some way and God has blessed you in a unique way to be able to maybe not every pastor is able to counsel them in that way but you you had those gifts and you had that experience and now you're sharing that message on your podcast
1: right I am and uh and then of
0: course in
1: counseling I still do a lot of counseling I do a lot of mentoring of businessmen there's young men in the church it's funny. They come up to me and they think of me as being a businessman, a banker, a real estate developer. And they forget for 20 years I was their pastor, you know, and the people who were there during that 20 years, they they refer to me as pastor. However, the people that knew me in business, they call me up and say, you know, you know can, you, can you talk to me about my business type of thing? So I find it really easy to talk to people. They'll tell you everything. It's incredible. They will give you their most deep, dark secrets about their finances, more than I really even need to know. But <laughs> it's because they're, they want to know how to be blessed. And in most cases, they're not seeking God. The first question I ask people when they ask me about their finances, I say, well, what does God's word have to say about that? Mm-hmm. Like guaranteeing a loan. The Bible says, don't do it. Never do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, in my book, <laughs> I tell people why God said that. That's true. You shouldn't co-sign a loan. If they can't afford to do it, then just get the loan yourself and have them pay you. Think think of that. And you won't destroy a relationship, you know. Because if, if my mother needed a car and she wanted me to co-sign, I'd rather buy the car. And if she wanted to pay me fine, I just give it to her. But but if I if she wanted to make payments, make it to me. Because what if she misses a payment and I co sign? All of a sudden my credit goes down the tubes, and the devil has a chance to say, ah, I'm gonna break, build a wedge between you and your mom are you and your friend. And that's why it's dangerous to do that. So if you just point out that the Bible has the answer to every financial question that you have, mm-hmm. find out where. If just good advice is read Proverbs chapter three. Just read the whole thing. Talks about greed and talks about wealth and, and wisdom about money and things of that nature. And you'll get a great lesson just mm-hmm. by going through that simple area.
0: That's what I do. Well, Uncle Dave, this has been just great to catch up with you and hear about. I mean, I, I learned so much uh, about what you're doing, and, and I'm, I I just want to tell you how much I admire everything that you've done and, and what an inspiration you are to me, and I know so many other people, and uh, thank you for all your work for God and for the church and for so many. Tell people how they can, uh, how they can follow you. Where can they find you?
1: Okay, well, if you're interested in hearing any of the podcasts, you can you can go to any place that you tune in to podcasts. And mm-hmm. uh, the title of it is Quality Christian Living. It's, that's living a full quality life. You can tune into my webpage, go to my webpage, which is David C. davidcfriendauthor.com. And on that webpage, there's a link that you can go right to the podcast there and look at what I've written. So I believe the Lord will bless you. I'm not in it to make a bunch of money, but I am in it to reach a lot of people and help them to grow closer to God and help them in their finances. But then there's a whole lot more than just finances, the whole life of living a quality Christian life. And I know that's what God wants for all of us. Every one of us that's listening in today, he wants our life to be abundant, right? Here, We're more than conquerors as far as God's concerned. Plan your finances the way God has them planned for you, to bless you, prosper in all things, and be in good health, even as your soul
0: Thank you again, Uncle Dave. It's great to have you on. For those who are listening, we'll provide links to Uncle David's podcast, to his webpage, and to his books in the show notes. So thanks again, and, and have a great day. God bless. Thank you. God
1: bless you. Take care.
0: I want to thank my Uncle Dave for being on our show today and for sharing his wisdom, his faith, and his experience with us. It was a real blessing to have him on the show. I'll leave a link in our show notes to his website where you can find his new podcast and links to his books on Amazon. And, of course, to view the full video presentation of this podcast, I encourage you to visit the show's episode page on advancingourchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us, Uncle Dave. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for another great show. And if you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for over 21 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everyone. Next week, we have another great episode, a panel that I have put together of podcasters. If you've ever been interested in learning the art and the science of podcasting, you don't want to miss this episode. I hope you'll join us. Until then, have a great week. Take care and God bless.